Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this is episode 145, King Oswiu, the aftermath of the Windwade. The Battle of the Windwade is over, and Penda is dead, along with 30 noble war leaders who had joined him in battle. With them was King Anna's brother, King Aethelhera of East Anglia. And as for King Aethelwald of Deira, that was King Oswiu's nephew who fought with Penda, well, we're not sure what happened to him. But he isn't in the histories any longer, so perhaps siding with Penda against his uncle didn't end all that well. And this battle changed quite a bit. I mean, the Battle of Mazer Field had established Mercia as the dominant force on the island. And specifically, it demonstrated the military prowess of Penda. It was there that King Oswald of Northumbria was killed, and his kingdom was split up into two separate kingdoms, each with its own king. And it was at that battle that Mercian power, which had already been growing with their challenges to the West Saxons, had reached its full stride and broke the Northumbrian hegemony. And Mercian power was so complete that the kingdom successfully waged wars against challenges to the multi-kingdom system that ruled Anglo-Saxon Britain. And in doing so, they took down kings of East Anglia, ousted a king of Wessex, and even took their wars into Bernicia. But now, in the aftermath of the Windwade, it was King Oswald's brother, King Oswiu of Bernicia, who was triumphant on the field of battle. Given the location, weather, and how outnumbered the Bernicians were in this battle, it makes one suspect that this was an ambush rather than a typical Anglo-Saxon battle in the model of honorable combat. But however, Oswiu managed to secure victory. He had won and had killed and beheaded the man who had killed his brother all those years ago. But a king's work doesn't end with a successful battle, especially not for a king like Oswiu. We've spoken at length in earlier episodes about how Penda had plenty of opportunities to annex kingdoms, or just parts of kingdoms, but generally didn't. Well, Oswiu didn't have the same hesitation when it came to expansion. And so, following this battle, Oswiu nabbed northern Mercia and made it part of his own kingdom. And as for southern Mercia, well, by rights, it probably should go to Penda's son, King Peda of the Middle Angles. After all, he was already ruling down there. But that made things a little awkward for King Oswiu, because Peda was also pretty damn popular, being apparently quite an impressive king and leader. And also, he had converted to Christianity sometime earlier at Oswiu's own insistence. So Oswiu couldn't just take him out, which I'm sure he wanted to do, and then just say, meh, the pagan had it coming. After all, Peda didn't just convert for show, he really meant it. And apparently, he was even involved in the founding of Mead Hampstead. So just up and killing him and taking his lands probably wouldn't have been taken that well by the locals. I mean, sure, Oswiu had already killed a rather devout Christian, his own cousin, King Oswin. And Oswin was so beloved that he was later revered as a saint and had his own cult. But that was probably something that you can only get away with once. And really, it hasn't been all that long since Oswiu had Oswin murdered, so then to immediately follow that up by going after another pious and beloved leader might be pushing it for this Bernician king. And as if that wasn't enough, on top of all of that, 
Peta was also married to Oswiu's own daughter, Alkfled. And while he wasn't exactly shy about killing his own family members, as King Oswin of Deira had learned, and frankly, it wasn't just cousins, it was also nephews. As I mentioned, King Aethelwald of Deira was the son of King Oswald, Oswiu's own brother, so this was his nephew. And in this most recent class, he had rebelled against the Bernician leader and then tried to probably earn points by sitting on the fence of the Windwade. But considering the fact that he totally vanishes from the record following that battle, it doesn't look like things went overly that well. So yeah, Oswiu was not much of a guy to give breaks to family. However, while he had already taken out two family members, going for the trifecta and taking out a cousin, a nephew, and a son-in-law all in the same decade might have been a bit of a stretch. So that might be why he dealt with Deira in less than an expansionist manner. So what we're told is that following the Windwade, Oswiu put his own son, Alfrith, on the throne of Deira rather than taking it for himself. And I wonder how he felt about that entire situation. On the one hand, his son was now a king, and that would make most fathers proud. But Oswiu wasn't exactly most fathers. Also, by putting Alfrith on the throne, he was missing the opportunity to unite the two kingdoms into Northumbria and rule it, as his brother had done. Further, his son was married to one of Penda's daughters, so eventually you'd have a Northumbrian kingdom that would be in the hands of his grandkids, and those grandkids would carry with them the same blood that had killed his brother. And that might have rankled him a little bit. But whatever the case, the facts on the ground were that northern Mercia was now under the control of Oswiu of Bernicia, and southern Mercia was ruled by his son-in-law, Peda, who was almost certainly acting as a sub-king. And Deira was ruled by Oswiu's own son, Alfrith, who was also almost certainly acting as a sub-king to Oswiu. The line of Ida was back, and it came with the Northumbrian hegemonic ambitions. And Oswiu definitely looked like he was making serious headway in that regard. Moreover, things in both northern and southern Mercia were in for a pretty big change. Under Penda, Christianity was tolerated, but their leader was a devout pagan, and paganism was still quite active in the region. But following the Windwade, you had northern Mercia being ruled by a Christian Bernician king, and southern Mercia being ruled by part of their own dynasty, but even so, Pato was still a Christian, as were his sisters. So this was still a bit new for them. So it wasn't like southern Mercia was getting away without any change. Mercia had lost the battle. And in the process, the struggle between paganism and Christianity had largely come to an end, with Christianity winning the fight. Sure, there were some smaller kingdoms like White that would stay pagan for about a decade longer. But for all intents and purposes, the fight was over, and Mercia, both north and south, were now ostensibly Christian. And I don't imagine there were many people who were eager to argue with their new Bernician overlord on that matter. However, even if Penda had won, I don't imagine that Christianity would have been defeated in Britain. This wasn't the same political and religious climate of the early 7th century, when Christianity nearly lost everything when King Aethelbert of Kent had died. I mean, now you nearly had all the major kings of the East converting, as were the thanes and peasants. The religion was much more seriously dug into the population at this point than in the time of Augustine. 
But just to muddy things a little bit, don't forget that Christianity did wax and wane on the island since its first introduction. So while it does look like a juggernaut at this point in history from our perspective, it was also heavily pushed during Roman times. And even then, it had gone into full retreat later on. So who knows what would have happened? Maybe if Penda had won, we'd be looking at a few more centuries of Woden and Thunor. It's something we won't ever know, but it is an interesting thought. Now, with all of this stuff that's happening in Mercia, you might be wondering what happened to Chinawiza and her hostage, Oswiu's own son, Egfrith. Well, the answer is, it's anyone's guess. We know that Egfrith survived, but how that happened, whether he escaped or was released, isn't mentioned. Further, we aren't given any details on what happened to Queen Chinawiza of Mercia following her husband's defeat at the Windwade. She just vanishes. But if she did die in the conflict, I hope she went down fighting. Those Mercian queens were tough as nails. So yeah, things shifted in a big way towards the Northumbrian power structures in 655. But not everything shifted. That same year, Mercia, who was now Christian, recognized Canterbury as the see of the English church, rather than say, oh, I don't know, Bamber or York or Lindisfarne. And what an awesome thumb in the eye to Northumbria that was. They were basically saying, sure, we'll convert. And now that we're part of Christendom, we think our first job is to point out that the head of the church should be your religious rivals. Oh, does that upset you, Oswiu? Well, you probably should have thought about that before you killed our king and annexed part of our lands and then forced us to convert. Yeah, tough luck there, buddy. So out of nowhere, Canterbury comes along and basically gets a win out of a battle that they had nothing to do with. And they really could use any wins they could get, considering the fact that Celtic Christianity was getting really popular on the island. So yeah, that was 655. It's pretty eventful, all in all. And I'm guessing that with all the kinslaying, in-law slaying, conquering, and general bad blood that was to be had in the north, Oswiu must have had one of his worst Christmases ever. I mean, when you think about it, it really does put your general family annoyance over your drunk uncle making a scene in perspective, doesn't it? And speaking of bad holidays, we have Easter of the following year, 656. So, as you might remember, King Peta of the Southern Mercians was married to King Oswiu's daughter, Alcfled. Well, it doesn't look like that marriage was going very well. Or maybe Alcfled was just embracing the fact that she was from the line of Ida. But whatever the case, we're told in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle that, quote, Peta ruled no length of time because he was betrayed by his own queen at Eastertide, end quote. Bede goes one step farther and says that King Peta was, quote, very wickedly killed, end quote. And it makes you wonder what exactly was done, since not even the murder of Oswin got the very wicked qualifier from our Northumbrian monk. Though it must have been pretty bad, considering that Bede was generally a light touch when talking about the misdeeds of Northumbrian leaders. But whatever it was, he fails to give us any details of this murder, though it did apparently happen while they were celebrating Easter. I just wish we had more details. Was it poison? A knife? A swift uppercut to the nose? Did she take off and nuke the site from orbit? After all, it's the only way to be sure. We aren't given any details. Just that he was betrayed by Alkfled and killed on Eastertide. 
and it's oddly reminiscent of that awful Easter for Edwin when he was nearly assassinated just before his daughter was born, isn't it? What's with holidays? Just eat the peeps and settle down, people. Come on. Anyway, so King Peta of Southern Mercia was now dead. And the question is, who was going to succeed him? Well, he had a brother, a guy by the name of Wolf Hera, and his name translates to Wolf Army. And how awesome is that? But you might be wondering if it did go to Wolf Hera. Well, hell no. It went exactly where you think it would go, right into the hands of Oswiu. He wasn't going to miss that opportunity. And that, right there, should give you at least a little bit of suspicion as to who came up with this whole murderous Easter thing. He was the one to gain the most. So he might have been prodding his daughter to, you know, stack the deck in his favor. Though, maybe the line of Ida just had some really weird ideas as to what should go in an Easter basket. And really, what do you give to someone who already has everything? Southern mercy and Peta's head, apparently. So, less than a year after Penda's defeat at the Windwade, all of Mercia was now being ruled by King Oswiu of Bernicia. And much like Penda, Oswiu was racking up quite the body count. Only in his case, they were all family members or in-laws. I mean, we have one cousin, probably one nephew, his kid's father-in-law, and now a son-in-law. And consider this. Oswiu fought the Windwade even though his son, Egfrith, was being held as a hostage. And that fight very well could have cost his son his life. Which apparently wasn't much of a problem for the Bernician king. Seriously, what the hell, Oswiu? So, are you getting why Penda was sort of the hero in this story? I mean, when they said keep it in the family, I don't think that's what they meant. Alright, so not everything happening here revolves around Oswiu and his justifiably nervous family. The following year, in 657, Hild, do you remember her? She was the abbess of Hartlepool, who was also the daughter of Hereric, you know, the nephew of Edwin who was poisoned. Well, Abbas Hild left Hartlepool and founded Whitby. We aren't told what happened to the abbey at Hartlepool, and actually, nothing at all remains of it. And it makes you wonder why she felt the need to relocate and found a new place. Was it destroyed in a fire or something? Or maybe there was a local uprising against the thing? It's hard to know. It's quite odd, though. But whatever the case, she decided to head a little ways down south and found Whitby in the Celtic style. Yep, despite some kingdoms like Mercia back in Canterbury, Iona was still quite influential. And Whitby is a good example of that. Also, Whitby's kind of interesting. Within, everyone was required to study the Bible. They also had to do good works and focus upon the virtues of peace and charity. So far, there's nothing that's really jumping out at you. But she also set up the abbey so that all property and goods were held in common, meaning there was no personal property allowed. Needless to say, Whitby and Comrade Hild became quite influential and there were five bishops that came from the abbey. So that's what's going on there. But I also need to point something out here that's a bit of a mess. So do you remember from the King Penda No Posers episode, where King Chenwal of Wessex returned from exile and attacked the Welsh to the west and expanded the borders of Wessex? Well, the dating for that battle was approximate, due to the fact that a lot of dates weren't given, but we do know that it happened upon his return from exile. 
And we also know that Chenwal had been in exile for three years in the court of King Anna of East Anglia. And due to Anna being in exile for ages himself, and also being killed by Penda upon returning, really, Chenwal couldn't have been in his court any later than 648, which is why the battle was placed at around 650 or 651. However, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle points out that the battle took place on 658, which is seven years later from the point where King Anna could have actually housed King Chenwal, and is also after Penda's death. So that's kind of odd. And frankly, it's entirely possible that the scribes picked that date because it's three years after Penda's death, and they assumed that Chenwal came back because Penda was dead. However, given what we know about Anna, his exile, and his death, that just wouldn't be possible if Chenwal really did spend time in exile with him. And that's why I chose to put that part of the story at 650 or 651, rather than 658 as the Chronicle dates it. But, as always, this era in history is a bit messy, and as a consequence, it's entirely possible that the dates for Anna, and actually even his involvement, were inaccurately recorded. And that the dating for the battle was the accurate part. That is possible. And if that's the case, then it's at this point that the West Saxons started to push west into Welsh lands. I guess it doesn't make all that much of a difference in the long scheme of things, but I wanted to make sure that you had all the facts. And also, I wanted to ensure that I wasn't giving you a partial view, or portraying it as the final word on the matter. Like everything else, this is a bit messy. So fair? Cool. Alright, with that out of the way, here's something that we're pretty sure did happen in 658. At least, the sources generally agree on it. So Mercia had been ruled by Oswiu, either directly or through a sub-king, for the last three years. And they were really getting a bit sick of it. And two years ago, the rightful king of Mercia, Wolf Hera, was passed over, and all of Mercia went to that foreigner, King Oswiu. And you might remember all those months ago when we talked about the cultural aspects of this period in history, you know, things like travel and xenophobia, that this was a time when even travelers from neighboring territories were treated with intense suspicion and fear, especially in regions that weren't as focused upon trade as the southern kingdoms, such as inland kingdoms like Mercia. So you can imagine how well Oswiu's conquest probably went over, can't you? I mean, here we have a strange king from an enemy land that they probably have never even seen ruling over them. And, as was the case with Rule in this era, his domination of that territory would mean that he'd have to take his court and travel not only through Bernicia to collect his food rents, but also through Mercia. And it makes you wonder how diplomatic he and his warbands were when they passed through, and how politic they were when they demanded rent, not to mention requiring local nobles to feast and house them as they passed through. We aren't given details of his reign over Mercia, but you can almost imagine him saying to a thane, Don't worry, you and your village are safe with me. I'll treat you as if you were one of my family. You know? And even if he was warm and fuzzy with the Mercians, you still have these strange foreign Bernician warbands moving throughout the kingdom. This would have been a period of intense fear for the Mercians. Now, we don't know what Oswiu's view of the annexation was. We don't have a diary or anything like that, and we don't even have quotes from famous writers like we have of Hannibal and how he apparently spun his invasion of Italy as being for the liberation of the Italians. 
so we don't know how he saw it. But from the looks of it, he definitely was not greeted as a liberator, because in 658, an enormous rebellion kicked up, and Wolf Hera, Wolf Army, son of Peda, was proclaimed as the king of Mercia. And with that, we're going to pause the narrative just for a few episodes and talk about something that's been developing in the East. You've probably got a sense of it from the episodes, but it's going to start to get really rather prominent in the story now that we have figures like Oswiu. And it's also becoming central with the spread of literacy and the clergy. Namely, power is concentrating, and Anglo-Saxon society is growing more complex along with it. Gone are the egalitarian days when individuals can move between classes, and there really were only a few classes to move amongst. Now there were dynasties, and a greater and greater share of the power and wealth was concentrating within these ruling families. So now you had positions within the clergy, positions on the battlefield, and definitely seats on the throne being reserved for just a few members of a very small percentage of families. And whereas in the early days you could find a spot in the upper echelons if you had the right skills, the right connections, or simply married well, now those avenues were closing down. Even marriage was closing down since these families were generally only marrying within their own circles. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the rise of these powerful figures and their families, and the rise of towns and complex societies, and also how the vast majority of the Anglo-Saxons fit into this world and interacted with it. All right, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me at thebritishhistorypodcast at gmail.com. And as always, we have all kinds of stuff you can get involved in. There's Facebook, Twitter, forums, you name it. And you can find links to all of that at thebritishhistorypodcast.com. All right, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.